Welcome to the Station Tapes at 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, headquartered in the old train station across the river from the great city of Philadelphia. Today I'll share an interview I did a little while back with Bluke. Bluke is Blue Rum 13, known to us as a member of the seminal band Bullfrog with Mark Robertson and Kid Koala, and Luke Vibert, known to the world as an elusive performer and master sampler. The duo met in the late 90s at a live gig, they were Ninja Tune label mates, and their first recording together, Smell the Urgency, emerged from the shelves in recent years and pushed them to record again. The follow-up, Sense the Urgency, was released this year on Ropadope. It is very rare that Luke Vibert grants an interview, so I was honored to get some casual time with him and Blue Rum 13 to discuss their mission to save that old-school hip-hop vibe. Right, so we are right. we are here at the station tapes, and it's my great honor and pleasure to speak with the band known as Bluke, which is Blue Rum Thirteen and Luke Vibert. How are you guys? Very good, pretty good. Thank you. Welcome, and thanks for taking time to chat. I want to uh, I want you to pretend that I don't know anything, which is not too far from the truth. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about how how we got to here. Um, okay. I saw a little thing that you guys met in New York at CMJ. So why don't, why don't we start there? Um, I, I think that wasn't. Right. Yeah. How, how did that all come together? I'm pretty sure that's our earliest memory. Yes. <laughs> our first memory. And uh, I was hosting the CMJ as the MC for the evening. Uh huh. And. Barbara was one of the DJs. Yes, but not. Uh, I was. I had the funny job. I didn't have an actual set as such. I was DJing in between in the changeovers, which sounds like a shit job, but actually some of the changeovers were like forty-five minutes, so it was actually quite a lot of DJing. And Ryuichi Sakamoto yeah. was on the bill. Wow. And he was, and he was doing some weird power game move thing, and he was supposed to go on right at the end, which wasn't even late because it was a day show he was supposed to go on i don't know 7 8 p.m maybe at night and he said at about three in the afternoon actually i want to go on now and so they took everybody's shit off the stage put all his stuff on which took ages and i had to play that whole time because you know that was my job and then he said actually i don't want to play and took it off and he did that at least one more time yeah if not two more fucking times and uh, so i got to play loads and i was like shit what can I do? And so James was rapping and we were just kind of doing our own show, you know, impromptu freestyling and DJ, whatever the fuck, yes. beats in the background. And yeah, that was how it all came together, kind of thanks to Raiwichi Sakamoto. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Luke played, I remember he played uh, his Gemini Twins instrument. Yes. And that's what it was. It was that instrumental. I was like, I need to find more of that. It's like, I got loads, mate. <laughs> so play, the, place the, it in which time. Was the first ever single on Big Dad. There you go. Play, place it in time for me. This is like mid, mid to late nineties, or yeah, exactly ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah, gotcha. So, for people who don't, you know, understand creation with electronics and computers, um, you know, they go back to the early days. And I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Giorgio Moroder and talking about electronic music, but that's like. A full generation or so before, yeah, you started messing around with 
circuit boards? Is that the idea? Not at all, no. Uh, that might be if you're electronic, but I'm, I'm not electronic, so I'm samples mainly. I sample from old records. Aha, uh-huh. aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, all the electronic records. And there's a few like little synthesizer bits on the album, but they're just to back up the samples, really, and they're just played on a cheap-ass computer program, you know. Uh-huh. But it doesn't matter because they're very quiet in the background, so you don't really hear them. They're just kind of backing up the sample a bit or whatever. So I, I, I don't, you know, I don't understand the creative process of how you would pick samples and and decide to create music. Can you enlighten it's, me a little bit? There? It's, I guess it's a feeling. It's kind of hard to say. I, I'm, I'm such a record addict anyway, like vinyl, and especially I don't really care. I don't need to buy good records. I just want sounds that I like, and you know whatever the fuck maybe beats or any anything really anything i can sample and i don't want to pay too much money so i tend to go to thrift stores or like we call them charity shops in england mm-hmm. and it's basically like dead people's records you know like old <laughs> 1950s 60s records you know because they've died and the family don't know what the fuck to do with them. and i and, that, and it's so cheap and yeah i get most stuff from that really just old dodgy records that's my so you're I don't know, I love your, That's my thing. Your ear is open when you're listening to like what you know. I'm, I'm I want to grab a sound. When you yeah, I just and naturally I don't have to like really pay attention or something. I'm just flipping through the record and and I've got to get I get really angry if I can't even take one thing off a record. So every fucking record has to give me something back. It might just be jing, one little chord or you know a snare <laughs> drum or whatever the hell. But it's good I've got just, to get something off it. Yeah, it's and good to set a standard. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also that that gives me a slight sort of limitation, which I like. I try to place kind of creative limitations on myself because I don't want the whole world to be my oyster or whatever. I, I need I need to be penned in a bit with. So I'll make up stupid rules for myself, like right, you've got to make the next track just out of this next record, you know, whatever the fuck that is, even if it's shit. And I'll and I'll do that, and the track might not be good, but I just like having those sort of limitations. I find it makes me more creative the tighter box I'm in or something. But Mm -hmm. if I'm in a completely free environment, it's like, oh, I don't know what to do anymore. Uh, Right, right. Too many options. So the the record and the samples actually inform the composition itself? Or, you know, do you have a groove or an an idea of what you want to... Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I mean, it's sort of different every time, so I'll I'll often start with a groove, but then it's really hard, I find, to put things into that groove, so I tend to work kind of the other way around with more musical bits first and then the groove after, Mm -hmm. because that seems like it it generally works better when I've spent too long on a groove or a beat, and then I try to add to it, it's like, oh shit, whatever I add to it is actually not, it's making it worse or something, you know, it's taking away from these fucking hours I've spent on the beat now you can't even hear that little hi-hat roll I did or whatever the hell so yeah I tend to do the beat after once I've got a bit of music or a loop or whatever that I like and so how long does it take to to, to finish a, a full piece um well like this with James it's different because we're going back and forth and stuff but and it's also different these days like in the 90s I, I couldn't save music you know so I knew if I turn this shit off, I've lost this track, you know, so you have to just keep everything on until you finish the track. And so that would be maybe a day or two days for a track. But if you're really fast, you can do like two tracks, three tracks a day, maybe if you're on a roll. But these days it's different because you can save everything. So I'll just sort of do little bits and then stop 
and do do another thing and keep myself more entertained bouncing around between a few tracks you know and I've got some tracks that I've never really bothered to finish these days but I could still go back to them if I wanted and change them because hmm. you can save save everything so easily these days yeah you must have a, a, a pretty comprehensive library of collected samples yes yeah <laughs> that's also a good thing about these days in the 90s I just every time I had to sample things again you know like oh I need a kick drum right let me find a record with a kick drum or whatever but yeah wow. now I've got like a thousand fucking kick drums in a folder <laughs> there you go so let's pivot back then and, and get some background uh, for Blue Rum 13. Um, New York City and Washington, D.C., yes? Yep. Born in New York and pretty much raised in Washington, D.C., metropolitan area, as say. Same time, like, so same time frame, it, pretty much? Um, this would be, yeah, we're, we're pretty much the same age, so, um, yeah, I graduated high school. I don't want to date myself, but end of the 90s, beginning of the 90s with my graduation end of the 90s. Wikip- Wikipedia has already dated you, so we're, we're good. Uh, yeah. and go. Everybody has access. <laughs> everybody knows yeah. these days. Uh, so what was it, what were your first uh, inspirations for music and you know, how, how did you get to to the mic? Well, uh, I was kind of, when my family moved from New York to uh, Washington, D.C. At that time, it was a place called Rockville. Uh, my my uh, older, rather older brother, who was still living in New York with my father's ex-wife. And so he used to always bring me, he used to DJ parties and photograph a lot of what was going on in the Bronx where he lived. And he used to always bring me just mixtapes. So I had mixtapes of Kumo D freestyling before even Kumo D, before the Wild Wild West record came out. I had mixtapes with uh, Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel mm-hmm. battling Houdini. Mm-hmm. Like, I had crazy mixtapes of, of hip-hop culture just from live shows. He used to... I later learned that it was the Roxy that he was recording from, but when I was a kid, I didn't know some rappers on it. And by by 10, by 11 years old, I was writing rhymes, I remember. Mm-hmm. And all through junior high, middle school, in high school beats on table and finding people to rap with and in high school I met Kid Koala mm. and he always talked about going to do make a, a rap group in England where they accepted Chinese rappers so I thought that was hilarious <laughs> so we formed a group and he later became a DJ mm-hmm. he wasn't a DJ at the time and uh, he then didn't want to be in a rap group so I formed another group, and that group later became Bullfrog, mm-hmm. like the beginning work as a Bullfrog. This would be 96 or so, and then traveling back and forth to Canada while he was there, yeah, back and forth to Canada. Montreal? I was introduced to Ninja Tune, because Ninja Tune was forming in the end of the 90s in Montreal. They had already been established. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the UK. So as they established this Montreal office, I became more and more involved in what Ninja was doing, it's, and that's when we met. Around there is when I was involved in Ninja. They were using me as an MC because they didn't have a lot of MCs, so I was kind of the Ninja MC in the early stages. And I would host whatever event they did. They had a couple of artists; they would call me to host. 
how that's yeah. sorry how, how would you guys for, for someone who's new to and, and these days everybody's kind of new to everything because there's a whole generation of people who listen to things but don't really know the context and the history right um, this is how this is how you get somebody saying you know saying that Paul McCartney owes uh, was it Kanye a, a favor for breaking him you know <laughs> yeah right <laughs> who is this old guy Kanye's breaking him <laughs> yeah um, how, how, do, how does hip hop you know the, the many the many branches of, of hip hop how, do, how does it how does it move into this world of of, of uh, really intricate sampling and, and and a more electronic bass? I think. Like, how, how do you see that? What do you think? Uh, well, that? I think when we started to make this record, hip hop was definitely going in the direction in this direction. There were groups coming out like Latirix. Yeah. DJ Shadow was producing this kind of abstract hip hop. So. Yeah, Crush. Yeah, exactly. So we were, Crush was doing uh, collaborations with Black Thought from the Roots at the time, too. Mm-hmm. So we, we were headed in that direction as far as we... And then before we knew it, hip-hop decided to change its mind <laughs> and go somewhere else. But in our... I never viewed this as an abstract hip-hop album. It was just a progression of the last album that I did. Got so it. the sound, in my opinion, was very much headed that way. Now it's kind of... Uh, now I think it's kind of lost its intensity because there were a lot of people who had developed a certain skill set that was no longer necessary if you can accept someone going boom, boom, cack, boom, boom, cack, and that's now your beat. So a lot of of people that made music in that direction, at least hip-hop in that direction, started to become, uh, started to diversify. Like King Brick, is one of those guys. He was actually making an abstract hip hop. DJ, DJ Spinner, and then now yeah, he's yeah. doing housey stuff and like yeah. So they all kind of left hip hop, whereas we didn't. Right. <laughs> so Luke, were you? Yeah, we stuck to it. We just waited, <laughs> waited out the storm. I'm glad. I'm really glad. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, Luke, are you? Are you? Were you aware of all the? You know, some of the some of the roots of what what uh, Blue Rum's talking about in the hip hop world when you were doing your thing early on uh not really i guess i i loved we were lucky in england man and hip-hop was big in england like pop hits you know so mm-hmm. the message was like got to number two in the charts you know uh-huh. and that was a 80 it was a year later i think like 83 in england but that hit me really fucking hard that track and my dad and my sister and we just used to put a 12 inch on and dance around the room for weeks uh then i guess it i, I really liked go go that was about 84, 85, and that was again through Melly Mel, because I think uh, after the message, the next record in England was Pump Me Up, Melly Mel, and that wasn't such a big hit, but it still got in the charts to like number 17 or something. And that got me into Trouble Funk, because uh, because that's the beat I noticed they'd used. So it just said uh, all music by Trouble Funk, so then I got into them. Then I guess it was Beastie Boys, Licensed to Ill after yep. that, but... Yeah, I mean, I always loved hip hop, but obviously wasn't. It was, you know, in Cornwall, especially in England, it was not. I didn't understand the culture of it or anything, but you know, you you pick it up through the lyrics and, and all that shit. But yeah, no, obviously it wasn't the same. But we we have loads of the same interests, whether it's like jazz or whatever the fuck. So we're basically we're basically kind of on the same page. 
similar influence. There's very few uh, producers, electronic or otherwise, however you want to define it, that even listen to Go Go from DC. Not very, like very Go-Go. few people. Full stop. Every time I buy a Go Go record, still now because I buy every Go Go record I don't have. Someone will say the guy behind the store working, or the girl, as was the case in Portland, say, "Oh shit, someone's buying Go Go." <laughs> no one buys this shit, you know. And people love it, but only. Very few fucking people know about it. Yeah, it's pretty specific to Washington, D.C. Yeah, uh, really, yeah. That might be part of the chemistry and yeah. the way we put our stuff together because he has grooves that are unique to to hip-hop in a sense but do fit really well in a go-go context. It's the it's the triplet thing, you know. I remember that on the Melly Mel track, Pump Me Up, and yeah. there was, it was just that filling. And it was like, oh, shit, what is this, man? Like, I loved all that triplet percussion stuff even as a kid beautiful yeah and I, I have to say that I'm one of those people who was not fully aware of Gilgo um, uh, yeah, and check it out man. it seems like uh, with, with folks like Michael Whalen here and uh, Sean Martin I think uh, oh yeah know, right heavy, heavy I was on that Michael Whalen was the guy who did the sound effects with, from police that's actually. another Michael Whalen but yeah, no it might that. be no it might be the same he's done about 700 compositions for film and TV but he's a, he's a DC guy, so I don't but, know. yeah, not the police effects sound, not the police academy sound effects guy. Though. It might be. Yeah, uh, uh, we'll have to we'll dig that one out. up. I didn't we'll know from DC though. I thought I knew. Anyway, yeah. uh, it sounds like we should go. We should go to the go go when I come. Yeah. yeah so you guys got together, and the first Luke album was recorded quite a quite some time ago. Yeah. Yeah, and over like a bit of time, maybe. Yeah. a year or two sending it was harder in those days because I don't think it was the internet yet so we had to like maybe post shit or whatever the hell yeah. we had to do back in the day I would wait for beats yeah fortunately the first time I met him he gave me a CD of almost 20 beats so I had some stuff to work from and I'd send a few songs back I had I was recording recording back then was still on DAT for the most oh, yeah. so I'd have to record it to DAT and then burn the CD and send him the CD yeah. Which was pretty phenomenal. Like I don't know how we even finished an album, considering we were never in the same place at the same time. During yeah. So from 2000 to about 2000, just before 2002, I recorded that album in various studios, in mm-hmm. pretty Fad, much Fadim. all over the world. Once yeah. in fact, dear old DJ Fadim's Fadim studio, DJ Grand Theft, who's now huge in his studio, uh, Kid Koala's studio. Yeah. In Abbey Road, we recorded a song in Abbey Road. Nice. I did. I forget what song I did. Because Bullfrog got a session and we just snuck in. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded the last song there. Exactly. Just so I could say I did it. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't even remember all the studios. It was anyone, basically anyone who had a studio at the time that I had completed lyrics and was in close proximity, I went to their house to record for this record. And we ended up with 16 tracks, but whittled it down to 13. Where are those other three tracks? Uh, On a CD. People will save those for some time. So, but it was sometime before the album came out, right? And then, were you guys in touch during all those years, or? No, not really. Maybe every five years, send a message. Gotcha. How you doing? But not really. There was a couple. There was a year where we were pretty much in contact for like 
month just because of travel. So whenever I stopped down in the UK, I'd see if he was around yeah. or whatever. So we were in contact pretty regularly, but he's always the same. <laughs> so, there you go. That's good. So good. <laughs> Consistency is good. So here we are, 2019. I can't even believe I'm saying that, and we're getting ready for uh, this new record. And you guys yeah. are. How did you come back together and make the decision to do this? And uh, what it do you want to say about the the enthusiasm of the re-release of the first record we did? Okay. So B-sides records re-released that two years ago. Actually, it was the very beginning or the end of 2017, but the beginning of last year, more or less. And, uh, or I'm sorry, two years ago, yeah, beginning of 2017. And uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm for it, and we were excited to actually create a better quality record yeah. than the one that was going to be put out. Yeah, we were like, oh shit, they like that stuff. Hang on, that was 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should update it a bit more. <laughs> Let's do something. So, yeah, and he just began sending me tracks. I think I still I have 150 beats here from Jesus. Oh my god! Like, oh my god! So yeah, there's still tons to do, <laughs> but we're gonna give you twenty. We're gonna give you twenty tracks. There you go. So you guys are together uh, in the south of France, and you're and you're working on this right now, right? Yeah, we're drinking yeah. wine. Yeah, we've done all the demo shit, so it's kind of easy. We're just making it sound better, we're adding little touches here and there. Yeah. So mixing, and then you know, yeah, mixing it properly for once. How would you define it? Uh, you know, what can people expect? grandeur yeah I mean a bit of everything man there's some hard shit some lovely love shit and stuff in between some old school really old school kind of almost 80s sounding beats the collection reminds me of like a a radio show when you used to hear say that hip hop a hip hop DJ would would play all the songs that were kind of new that month Mm -hmm. and because of the variety of styles on it it reminds me of of a show from that at like a 96, 97 hip hop radio show. Nice. But the songs don't necessarily sound like that, but the collection yeah, the feels mi- like the that. Mixture, yeah, the mix. There's no two songs the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that would be pointless in our eyes. We're like, we've done that already. Or we... Yeah, that's. I think that's another part of the chemistry of this group is that we both like to push ourselves in whatever area we weren't in before. And within the hip hop framework, within this this confined area, we can do a lot, and we do it pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good match. Nice, nice. I'm 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 even more excited. I'm, <laughs> I want to I want to hear it. Um, well, it, go ahead. I was gonna say um, there will be some videos on Twitch, with just like little bits and snippets. Twitch slash one thirteen. If, uh, yeah, to check out just up until for the next six days, and then they'll be gone and they'll be re edited into something else. But we'll make sure that you can hear some stuff. Obviously, you're going to get all the masters very soon. Anyway. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm really happy that both of you have uh, stayed consistent and stuck with this, and I think that there's a whole new generation uh that of 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 people um we're finding it in just about everything we do uh jazz and otherwise where 
it's kind of like the internet, you know, between sometime between Napster and Facebook in there. Um, all of the information of the that was available in the entire world got got uploaded to computers, and instead of people being more informed, uh, people became less informed because of the mountain of information. Uh, yeah. And so now we, it's it's a treasure to dig back and follow the roots, uh, and all, and also have something that's fresh and, and and relevant and exciting, you know. So um, I want to say thank you. I want to thank you both for the, the last tra the last track we mixed was called Something Fresh. <laughs> there we go. Um, so um, we are looking at May twenty fourth, twenty nineteen, for uh, Sense the Urgency. Yes. Uh, from yes, Blue. Yes. Uh, I want to thank you both again for spending time with us. Uh, we really appreciate you. Thank you, man. Thank you all for tuning in to the station tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadope99, and you can find out more about the artists we speak with at ropadope.com. Thanks to the 21 Soul team, Nick Perry and Steven Yashevsky on production, Larry Yetman on video, and the great Fabian Brown on the creativity and positive energy tip. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. You can find out more about Michael Blake at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. Finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and to those of you who are taking the time to listen, we hope you enjoy the show. Thank you.